Well, welcome to Epic, everybody. Didn't our worship team do a great job with that song? So they did a great job with that song called Waiting on the World to Change. And I asked them to play that because it describes how many people in our world today feel about what's happening. There's a bunch of people that feel like our world is headed in a bad direction and there's nothing we can do about it. So we just keep waiting for the world to change. And even though we're waiting, I don't think our waiting is doing us really any good. You know, you look around the world and kind of see the condition of it. It feels like uh, political tensions continue to rise. Racial tensions are spreading all around the world. You go on social media and it seems like it's just becoming this place filled with hate. You you flip on the nightly news and within five minutes, you're depressed and ready to flip it off and, and go to bed hoping tomorrow's a better day. Aren't you just so glad that you came to church or joined us online where I could remind you how exciting life can be sometimes? Well, like Chris said, we are in part two of our Alexa series. And what we're doing in this series is we're exploring some of the big questions that people all around the world are asking about faith. Questions like these. So people are asking, if God exists, what is he really like? We explored that last week. And then we're going to look at next week, if God exists, then why do we exist? Is there any real purpose to our lives? And there's a bunch of people that ask on a regular basis, can we really trust the Bible as a guide for us? Is it just some outdated, old-fashioned book that really doesn't apply to us today? And then there are people who ask this, is, uh, who really is Jesus and why really does it matter Why does it matter about Jesus? So people all over are asking questions like these and they're asking the World Wide Web for answers. And so in this series, we wanted to try to answer these questions from a biblical perspective. And the question we're gonna look at today is this one. In a world so full of hate, shouldn't we just tolerate each other? You know, it seems like We are offered tolerance as the solution to our world's conflict. It seems like people are telling us, listen, like if you just tolerate each other, our religious conflicts will be better. Our relational conflicts at work will be better. That stuff in your family will be figured out if you just learn to tolerate each other. But I'd like to suggest this morning that tolerance really isn't doing us any good. I think tolerance is actually making things worse. So to explain that, let's explore some of the definitions of tolerance, okay? So tolerance can be defined as allowing the existence, the presence, the practice, or act of something without prohibition or hindrance. So you're letting something happen and you're not doing anything to stop it. It can be defined as enduring something without repugnance. And don't you love when you're trying to look up a definition in the dictionary and you got to look up another definition for a word that's in the definition that you're like, "Ah, what does that mean? Repugnance. I'm not sure. It means intense disgust. So enduring something without kind of throwing up in the moment, like when you're enduring that thing or that person. Uh, Another way it can be defined is as accepting or enduring someone or something unpleasant or disliked. So that's how we can define tolerance. And I would like to take that word tolerance and put it into the greatest commandment ever given to us. So the commandment given by Jesus when he was asked by somebody 
hey, what's the, the greatest commandment in the law of Moses? It's found in Matthew 22, starting in verse 36. Um, it says this, and here's what I'd like you to do as we read through this. There are two words highlighted in yellow. When we get to that spot, I'd like to, for you to say that out loud together boldly, okay? So here we go. Verse 36, there's a, a, a man in the crowd who asked Jesus this, teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And Jesus replied, you must tolerate. tolerate the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Tolerate. Your neighbor as yourself. Now just think if that's what Jesus actually said. Our world is saying, hey, tolerance is the thing that's going to solve our world's problems. And if that's really what Jesus said, I think we're doing a pretty good job. Like, don't you? I think we do a really good job of tolerating God and tolerating other people. And I'll speak for myself. Uh, when it comes to tolerating God, I have found that I'm really good at it. There are moments that God comes along and says, Trent, this is what I want you to do. And I go, I hear you. I'm just gonna tolerate you. Doesn't mean I'm really gonna do what you're asking me to do. I'm just gonna tolerate that request in my life. It's kind of like when my parents would ask me years ago, hey, um, would you go clean your room? Sure. Did I go clean my room? No. I heard them. I knew what they wanted me to do. I'll do it eventually. Right now, I'm just tolerating you and your request. Then there are moments that I, I take my tolerance to uh, an extreme for me, and I actually do what God is asking me to do. And there are times that I do it with a bad attitude, but I remind God, I did it anyway. Anybody else uh, find yourself in that spot when God asks you to do something and your attitude isn't the greatest? Um, I think that's an example of us kind of tolerating God in those moments. Then when it comes to tolerating people, I think we're all pretty good at understanding when somebody's tolerating us, right? Uh, we know that people communicate way more through their body language and, than anything else. So it doesn't matter what's coming out of their mouth. We can tell somebody's being really polite to us, but we know, yeah, they don't like us. And they don't like me right now. What's going on through their mind? They think I'm an idiot. Yeah. And what are they going to do when they turn around and walk away? They're going to tell their friends that. Yeah, I think that guy's pretty much an idiot. Like, I don't like anything he's saying. I'm just tolerating him being polite in that moment. Why do we know that about that person? Because that's what we do when we're tolerating somebody else. And we walk away and we're like, yeah, I don't really like him. I think they're an idiot. So I think if, if that's what God asks us to do is tolerate, I think we're doing a really good job. But again, I'm not so sure that's what we should be doing. I think there's some other things that God wants us to be doing. I recently heard this. It really saddened my heart when I heard this. I heard somebody say, uh, about the death of somebody they didn't like, kind of a political enemy of theirs, this person said, I hope he's rotting in hell. And when I heard that, I thought, you know what? I think that's where tolerance leads to. It starts as, as this unspoken thought. I don't really like you, but I'm gonna tolerate you. And it leads to a spoken thought and disregard for humanity and life itself. And that's why I don't think we're supposed to tolerate each other. It's not what Jesus said. We're supposed to do something that's a whole lot harder. So we're gonna go back into the great commandment. And this time again, I'd like you to read the words highlighted in yellow. So teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses, and Jesus replied, you must love. love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is equally important 
love your neighbor as yourself. God calls us to love people, not to tolerate people. And I hope this morning when you got up and you were trying to find out what you were going to wear today, I hope you picked up your stretchy pants and put them on because today God is going to stretch all of us in what it means to apply this to our lives. So to explore this, we're going to look at a relationship that Jesus had with some leaders back in his day. We're going to look at some people who actually tolerated Jesus. They were the religious leaders of his day. There was two primary groups, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And what you need to know about them is they were devout followers of God. They read their Bible. They applied that to their lives. They came up with all these extra rules for what it means to apply scripture to their lives because they were that committed to following God. And you would think that a group of people like that would love Jesus when he came, but they hated Jesus. In fact, they tolerated him until they couldn't tolerate him anymore. And then they had him executed. This conversation about the great commandment in Matthew 22 gives us insight into what these religious leaders are like. Verse 35 actually tells us that the man who asked this question was one of the religious leaders and he was asking it to trap Jesus. He wanted to catch Jesus in saying something that he could use against him. But I want you to notice how Jesus responded to him. Jesus answered him honestly and graciously. Jesus knew his motives. He knew what he was doing. He knew why he was asking that question. And in this moment, he didn't expose those motives. He just answered this guy's question. And I I want you to put yourself in Jesus' spot for a moment, okay? So let's just pretend you have the power to read other people's motives. I, I know that you think you have that power right now, but you don't compared to what Jesus does, you know? So just pretend that you have Jesus' power and you can look into somebody's heart. You can look into their mind. You know why they're asking that question. This sounds like a legitimate question. But Jesus knew what was behind the question. Put yourself in that spot. Like, how are you gonna respond? What are you gonna do? You know, I think for me, if I was in that spot, you know, my flesh would come out and like, I'd wanna expose that aggressively to everybody in the crowd. I might secretly command that person's uh, shoe straps to tie themselves together. So when he walks away, boom, falls flat on his face in front of everybody, it gets embarrassed. Like I might do that, but Jesus answered this guy honestly and graciously. He just handled that with such grace in that moment when somebody was trying to trip him up and trap him into saying something. And we see more of Jesus' grace in another interaction in John chapter three with another religious leader, a Pharisee named Nicodemus. And chapter two says this about Nicodemus. It says, after dark one evening, Nicodemus came to speak with Jesus. He had some really big questions. And one question I have when I'm reading through this passage is, why did he come after dark? That was uncommon. Why did he come during the day? The reason is he didn't want his Pharisee buddies to see him going to speak with Jesus. He had questions. And he knew that if he let his friends know those questions and he was going to Jesus for answers, they would hate him as much as they hate Jesus. And so he goes under the cover of darkness. And Jesus, I love his response. Jesus could have said, Nicodemus, uh uh-uh. Come back tomorrow during the day when everybody can see what you're doing. He could have said that. 
He could have the next day said, hey, Pharisee pals of Nicodemus, guess who was at my house last night asking big, important questions about eternal life? He could have done that, but he didn't. He just poured out grace for Nicodemus and he answered his questions. He got into an amazing conversation that has been recorded for us about how to have eternal life. And he he said several big statements. He said, listen, Nicodemus, unless you are born again, you can never see the kingdom of God. And he explained how to be born again. He says, through relationship with me. He says, basically, uh, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, whoever uh, gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will never perish but have eternal life. He gave us the most famous Bible verse ever, a verse that's been used all over the world to help people start a relationship with the creator of the universe. So in that moment, you see Jesus' grace as he interacts with Nicodemus. So sometimes... The greatest way to interact with somebody who's tolerating you at work, somebody who's tolerating you uh, out in a a social setting in our community, to not like get revenge on them, not to try to expose their motives for what you think they're doing and why they're doing that in the moment. It's just to be honest and gracious with them. Now, it's easy to expect that Jesus would do that because he's God in the flesh, But I want to look at another example of what Jesus did in Mark chapter 3, and you might find this one a little bit surprising. In Mark chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Jesus went into the synagogue again and noticed a man with a deformed hand. And since it was the Sabbath, which was their holy day of Saturday, so similar for us, our holy day of Sunday, it says that since it was the Sabbath, Jesus' enemies watched him closely. Now, who were his enemies? The religious leaders. Again, religious leaders did not like him. They were trying to trap him. And verse two tells us that if he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. Now, for us today, we're like, yeah, you know, like we probably all violate that commandment. We probably all do a little bit of work on the Sabbath. But back then, violation of the Sabbath brought severe consequences, some really big consequences. That day uh, was supposed to be set aside as holy. We're not supposed to do any of our normal work on that day. We're supposed to rest, just rest, a day of connection with God deeply and a day of rest. And the religious leaders came up with all kinds of extra rules for what it meant to follow that commandment. And to this day, there are still are religious leaders around the world that make lists for what it means to obey that commandment and what it means if you are violating that commandment. So for example, if you take a trip to Israel, like some of us are gonna take in January, if you go to Israel and on the Sabbath you ride an elevator, you will notice that there are some elevators that stop at every floor to keep people from violating the Sabbath. The violation of the Sabbath has been determined now by some religious leaders is if you operate an electric switch, if you push a button on the elevator, that's considered working. And I think that just shows the extremes that we go to in interpreting God's instructions. I don't think that's what God meant. I don't think God was saying, hey, on on the Sabbath, don't work any electrical switches. We'd all be in the dark walking around with candles. I don't think that was what God intended. In verse three, Jesus said to the man with the deformed hand, come and stand in front of everyone. 
Then he turned to his critics and asked, does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath or is it a day for doing evil? Is this a day to save a life or to destroy it? But they wouldn't answer him. So he looked around at them angrily and was deeply saddened by their hard hearts. Then he said to the man, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand and it was restored. And at once the Pharisees, instead of being so blown away that Jesus performed this miracle in this moment, instead of that, they went away and met with supporters of Herod to plot how to kill Jesus. They were tolerating him. And they'd gotten to the spot where we just can't tolerate him anymore. We got to figure out a way to stop him and what he's doing. There's at least three things I think we can learn from this interaction here that Jesus had. And the first one is this. Jesus did the right thing when the right thing eventually led to his death. Jesus did the right thing in that moment to heal this guy's hand. He didn't say, hey, we'll do that another day. He said, you know, the right thing in this moment is to heal this guy. And he did that right thing even while his enemies were watching closely. So let's bring it to today's context for us. There are moments where I think we have become so uh, worried about being politically correct that we fail to live biblically correct lives. There are moments we fail to do the right thing because we're worried somebody's watching. What are they gonna do with this? How are they gonna use this against us? I think there are moments we're a little bit timid about what we're gonna post on social media or how we're gonna post that because somebody's gonna trash us as we do that. And Jesus never worried about that stuff. He just did the right thing when the right thing needed to be done. Like he stepped in and did that right thing, regardless of what his enemies were gonna do against him, what they were gonna say about him, how they were gonna use that uh, to hurt him. He did the right thing as that was demanded. And I think that's something I think we need to be challenged in. Another thing we gotta work on here and be careful of, I think that some of us could conclude by reading this, hey, it's really okay for me to be angry with people that I'm tolerating based upon what Jesus did here. But we gotta know that Jesus' anger and our anger are two different things. Jesus had righteous anger. And for most of us, we have self-righteous anger. And Jesus directed his righteous anger at religious leaders who were supposed to be helping people find God, but they were making it hard. They were putting obstacles between people and God. And Jesus directed his righteous anger at them in that moment. And I think that's something we need to learn how to do. We need to learn how to develop a righteous anger. There are some things out there that should make us angry. If you see someone who claims to be a Christ follower, who's supposed to be representing God to other people at work, at home, at school, wherever, and they're not doing that because of how they're choosing to live, they're living a life of hypocrisy, I think a little righteous anger should burn in our hearts. And I think if we have a relationship with them, we should go talk to them. Scripture talks about that, talks about learning how to confront each other and help each other stay on the right track in our relationship with God. But as we do that, we have to be careful. We always have to remember righteous anger and self-righteous anger are two very different things. And if we're not holding up a big mirror and looking into our own lives to make sure we're living the way that we should, we gotta be super careful about us confronting other people. But again, I do think there are moments where it's very appropriate for us to have a righteous anger and talk to somebody about how they're living. A third thing I think that we can learn is that some people will tolerate us and hate us no matter what we do. 
There was nothing that Jesus could do to change these religious leaders' minds. He could die for them and it wouldn't change their minds. And he did. And for many of them, it didn't change their minds. So for us, the application is we cannot please everybody. So let me say that again, and hopefully you'll sigh a sigh of relief when you hear it again. You cannot please everyone in your life. Anybody encouraged to hear that this morning? Like, wow, like it's exhausting to try to please everybody everywhere, pleasing your coworkers, pleasing your boss, pleasing maybe somebody at home, other students at school, maybe teammates on a sporting team, like wherever you go, like we're always trying to do relationship gymnastics to please everybody, but we need to be reminded this morning, like there are some people that don't like you just because they don't like you and you can't do anything about it. I know that's frustrating. I know that's hard, but it should be freeing as well. It's their issue, not yours. It's their issue. You can't please everybody. But we can please God. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 2. He was speaking about him and some other early church leaders. And he said, For we speak as messengers approved by God to be entrusted with the good news. Our purpose is to please God, not people. I actually have that verse written on my desk. And I look at it almost every day because it reminds me my purpose is to please God. I need to focus on that. And I can get caught up in the hamster wheel run of trying to please everybody around me all the time. And at the end of the day, if I'm pleasing God, if we're pleasing God, we're doing the right thing. We're doing what God wants us to do. Okay. Tighten your seatbelts because it's going to get a little bit harder for us. And God is going to stretch us even more in what it means to love people instead of just tolerate them. So Matthew 26 records the sad moment that Jesus was arrested and put on trial. Verse 57 says, Then the people who had arrested Jesus led him to the home of Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of religious law and the elders had gathered. Meanwhile, Peter followed him at a distance and came to the high priest's courtyard. He went in and sat with the guards and waited to see how it would all end. Inside, the leading priests and the entire high council were trying to find witnesses who would lie about Jesus so they could put him to death. Again, I think that's where tolerance leads. It leads to death. It leads to physical death and relational death and spiritual death. Verse 60 says, but even though they found many who agreed to give false witness, they could not use anyone's testimony. They knew their testimonies were, were so bad. They're like, we can't, we can't use this. It won't hold up in court. But finally, two men came forward who declared, this man said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. And Jesus did make that statement. When he made that statement, he was talking about his body. He said, you kill this body in three days, I'll raise it up again. But they misused that against him to give him the death sentence. Verse 62 says, then the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, well, aren't you going to answer these charges? What do you have to say for yourself? But Jesus, what did he do? But Jesus remained silent. Remaining silent is one of the hardest things for us to do, especially in moments like this when uh, we're being attacked by somebody, when somebody's launching an attack on us, when somebody's launching an attack on me, I want to defend myself, 
I want to justify myself, and I want to get a whole group of other people on my side who can stand with me to do the same thing with this person or those people who are attacking me in this moment. And Jesus didn't do that. Jesus, Jesus didn't say, hey, time out, guys. Like, I was talking about my body. Like, you didn't get it. I wasn't talking about the building. I was talking about my body. Like, you know, the, the, well, I'm making an example of the, the temple. You know, the building is going to become uh, our body. Our body's going to become the temple. And so that's what I was talking about. He didn't do that. He didn't do relationship gymnastics to overexplain this situation. He remained silent in that moment. And I know that goes against our nature because we like to control what other people think about us, or we like to try to control what they think about us. Sometimes the most appropriate thing that we can do is to remain silent and let God do his work. Sometimes God does his greatest work in our silence. Sometimes our silence gives God the space and the room to do what only he can do. So I know it's hard. I know we want to make sure that people understand our perspective and why we did what we did and make them understand where we're coming from. I think there are moments where God's request of us is that we just be silent. We keep doing what we know we need to do, living the way that we know we should live, but we're just quiet. And that is really hard to do. One more example, and this is going to stretch our stretchy pants to the point of possibly snapping. So hold your pants up if that happens as you leave today. Matthew 27 takes us to the spot where Jesus was nailed to the cross. And as he hung on the cross, verse 39 says, the people passing by shouted abuse, shaking their heads in mockery. Look at you now, they yelled at him. You said you were able to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Well, then, if you're the son of God, save yourself and come down from the cross. The leading priests and teachers of religious law and the elders also mocked Jesus. He saved others, they scoffed, but he can't save himself. So is he the king of Israel? Really? Let him come down from the cross right now and we will believe in him. Just understand what was happening there. You've got... God in the flesh with infinite power available to him. He could have revealed himself in that moment. He could have struck everybody dead who was mocking him. I would have been tempted to do that. He did not. Actually, Luke 23, verse 34, tells us what he said in that moment. Get ready. He said, Father... Forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Now, I'm thinking, if somebody is nailing me to a cross, they know what they're doing. I think they figured that out. But Jesus goes, like, they don't understand. They don't understand who they're interacting with. They don't understand that I am God in the flesh, and I'm dying so that it can be possible for them to have eternal life. They don't get it. So he poured out grace again. His Father, forgive them. That's why love is so much harder than tolerance. 
because it takes us to a place where it stretches us beyond belief. It stretches us beyond what we can do, and we have to learn from Jesus in a horrible situation, in a moment when we wouldn't want to forgive anybody, and then we learn from that, and Jesus puts that, us into that same spot in moments where people hurt us, where people can't tolerate us anymore, and then all of a sudden they start bad-mouthing us. They start doing hurtful things to us. And in God comes along and says, listen, I don't want you to tolerate them. I want you to love them by forgiving them. And we go, well, you don't know what they did. Well, yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. He understands. And he asks us as followers of his, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you've been asked to love people through forgiveness. And that does not mean that your forgiveness means that what they did was right or okay. doesn't mean that. It just means that you're not going to lower yourself to their standards and allow uh, yourself to become like them. And it means you're going to let God work in this situation. You're going to let God work this out for his glory and your good, even though it's really hard to do that. In just a minute... We're going to close by singing together a song about God's love. And as we sing together, I want you to answer this question. What is God asking you to do if you're in a situation where you are being tolerated or tempted to tolerate someone? What's God asking you to do? Is God asking you Is God asking you to pour out grace for them? Is God asking you to do the right thing even when your enemies are watching? Some of you have that situation going on right now. There's somebody just waiting for you to, to do the right thing so they can turn you into to their boss or your boss or whatever, report you in some way and get you in trouble. Will you do the right thing? Will you find a way to do something else or avoid doing that? Is God asking you to remain silent and let him take care of your situation? Or is God asking you to forgive someone? There's somebody in your life right now who's been tolerating you and that tolerance has gotten to a level where it's now hurting you. Is God asking you to forgive them? Jesus did all of these things at different times. And so... There may be a different thing that you need to be doing based upon what God is asking you in your situation, but what is God asking you to do today? Remember, Jesus never asked us to tolerate anyone. He asked us to love everyone, and we have opportunities every day to do that. So if you would, stand with me. We're going to pray, and then we're going to sing together about God's amazing love. So, Lord, as we look around our world and we see it spiraling out of control in so many different areas of life, Lord, it just seems like people are telling us that we should tolerate each other, and yet tolerance isn't really going anywhere good. It isn't leading to any good place. It's actually, I think, making things worse. So, Jesus, you never asked us to tolerate anybody. You asked us instead to love everyone. And so, Lord, we got to learn how to do that. We learn 
most effectively by watching you, Jesus. And we see you, Jesus, uh, pouring out grace for people in moments when you could expose their motives and yet you pour out grace. And then we watch you doing the right thing even when your enemies are watching and we'll use that against you. Or we watch you remaining silent when we wanna step in and correct what everybody else is thinking and yet you just remain silent. There are moments that you want us to just be quiet so that you can do your work in that space. And then, Lord, one of the hardest things for us to do is to forgive people who hurt us. Yet, Jesus, you did that, modeled that so well for us. And that wasn't just something that you were saying, hey, I'm God in the flesh, I'll do this because you can't. You said, oh, I'm gonna do this and model it for you. So Lord, maybe this morning there's somebody that we need to forgive. Pour out that love and grace and mercy for. Lord, whatever we need to do, we ask that you would speak to each of us individually as we sing about your reckless love for us. In Jesus' name we pray this, amen.